Amen. Uh, much will be said today, but may it be the name of the Lord that we respond to. Um, and not a man that stands here. We're going to be in John 1 again today as we continue through this text in this season of Advent. John 1, 1 to 18. If you would turn there with me and we'll read these uh, verses again. And then today specifically we'll look at verses 9 through 13. But follow along with me as we read. We listen to John right here. In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. In the first week of Advent, as we looked at the first five verses, we heard from the Apostle John about our great need for light. And there is this darkness that exists outside of us, and this darkness seeks to overcome. It creeps and it crawls, and it is persistent, and it seeks and desires to overcome. And we heard that the power of that light is God Himself, the Creator of the universe, and all it contains. We also heard that the source of that light is Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God. Last week, in the next few verses, we heard that the means by which God ordained for witness, <clears throat> for witness to come about in this, on this earth is human witness. It's humanity. It's a person. It's men and women. It's people like you and I that he meant to bear witness about this light. This morning, we will be in verses 9 through 13. So let's read verse 9 again and pick up there. John writes, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This true light, he uses very specific language here, but this 
light that he's referring to is true light. It's not a physical light, but it's rather a spiritual one. If we were to back up in verse 4, he tells us that in him, in the word, in Christ, in this light was life. And, that, and the life was the light of men. This is a life-giving light. It seeks, to, uh, it seeks out a world that is lost in darkness. It is just, in a, in a way, just like the darkness is seeking to overcome. There is a, a light. It's, it's not a physical, it's a spiritual life that he's referring to here. But this light is seeking a place to illuminate. It's looking for a place to illumine, to, to shine a light. Because where there is light, there is no darkness. And the smallest light, the smallest light reveals an object's true nature. Don't you know that? If you're in total darkness and you have just a flicker of light, it, it, may, it brings to light all that's in the room. There's stories about World War II and particularly, particularly the blackouts in London. And it's said, it's written that a single match light on a clear night could be seen from 20 miles in the air because there was total darkness. But a single light would illumine, it would bring to light something somewhere, it shines. And Christ is the true light shining in the darkness. It's inarguable from a Christian perspective. Christ is the true light that's shining in the darkness. Well, the result, John would go on to tell us, he says this true light which gives light to everyone. You should pause and say, who's everyone? Because not everyone has come or will come to faith in Christ. We, we know this. There are those that have rejected, and we'll get to that more in a moment, but there are those that have not yet and did not and will not come to faith in Christ. In Romans chapter 1, you can make note of this. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes in verse 20, he says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Jesus is the illumination on the heart of every single person to reveal whether or not there is belief to the point of life. So he has made himself known. He has declared his glory from creation. Every person that lives, has lived, and will live until his return will have to deal with Jesus. It is inescapable. We have to deal with Jesus. He has declared his glory in creation. The true light was coming into the world, he says. But he's already here. Right? Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. So in verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. He was already here, but he was coming. Well, there were at least three ways that this is true. Prior to the incarnation, prior to God coming in flesh, the word was on a continual basis in the world. 
It's always been. Uh, The world was made through him. He says that here. This world was made through him. He was present as a creator. Psalm 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 19. You can mark this verse down. Psalm 19, verse 1. He says, the writer of this Psalm, David, says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and the night to reveal knowledge. From the beginning, he has been present. He's coming, yes, but he's also present. He's in the world. So what John acknowledges this. He's coming, but he's in the world. He's present as creator. He's also present in the world through the law of God. You could turn to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 42, he writes this in verse 21. Isaiah says, The Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and to make it glorious. The law of God, the commands of God, the things God teaches us in and instructs us in his scripture exist to magnify him. They exist for that reason, to point to Christ. He existed through the law to give us, if you will, this inclination to what he is like in his character, who he is. Thirdly, he was in the world through his people. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, he writes in verse 23, And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth, whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. There was a a people. He existed in that way through his people. He was in this world, but was also coming into the world. This is the fact. John Calvin writes about this this way. He says, the evangelist says that the Son of God came to the place where he formerly was. And by this expression, he must mean a new and extraordinary kind of presence. By which the Son of God was manifested so that men might have a nearer view of him. I love how he writes about that. This was a watershed moment in history. If If the incarnation really happened, then everything changed, didn't it? If the incarnation happened, I'm not naive enough to believe that I'm looking and I'm searching. I'm saying, do I know everyone in here? I know a little bit about most people in here. But but if we have to answer that question, if the incarnation really happened, then it changes everything. Nothing stayed the same. If God really did take on flesh. G.K. Chesterton, he writes, Mohammedans did not misunderstand Muhammad and suppose he was Allah. Jews did not misinterpret Moses and identify him with Jehovah. Even Christianity was one vast, even if Christianity was one vast universal blunder, it is still a blunder as solitary as the incarnation. Chester is saying, That this is the hinge. (laughs) If it's a blunder, this is where we blunder. Because you can live according to Christian principles and 
and do good things, if you will. But if we've blundered here, right, this is where it is. So if the incarnation really happened, everything, everything for everyone changes. Did God become man? Have you asked yourself that question? Did God really become man? This is the core truth that John is getting to here. He goes on to show us that there are only two responses to this truth. Verse 10 and 11, let's read those again. He says, he was in the world and the world was made through him. So he's present as as creator. He's already in the world, but he's coming. Yet, the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. He gives us two responses here. The first one is rejection. This phrase, did not know and did not receive, they're parallel phrases. This word know, it's it's not an intellectual word. It's a volitional word. They didn't receive him. They didn't embrace him. They didn't welcome him, right? There is a way to welcome someone into your home. There is a way to welcome someone when you're with them. And they didn't welcome him as God come in flesh. It was an outright dismissal. It's a myth. It's a fantasy. It's a fairy tale. That happens today. Doesn't it? Have you ever met someone? Have you ever had a conversation with someone that outright dismisses the fact that God really did take on flesh? That this really did happen? That Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God, was really born? Have you ever experienced that? It's it feels crushing the first time you hear it. It, it does. When someone says, That's a, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you can believe in that, but it's a fairy tale. I mean, you don't really believe in that, do you? It's a myth. If that is you today, I really, I don't want to be naive. But if that's you today, would you doubt your own doubts? Really, would you doubt your own doubts? I, is it really possible that God, I mean, I, I think there's someone or something that created everything. I mean, you know, a watch falls on the ground outside. You, you find it after church. You don't assume that it's raining watches. You assume that, that someone dropped a watch. You, you know, there's, and so I'm looking around and, yeah, someone made all of this. But God coming in human form and living among us and being sinless, I mean, I... You just don't know. I'm not certain. Would you be willing to doubt your own doubts today? Would you be willing to question your assumptions that whatever you have believed before about the divine Son of God, would you be willing today to question your assumptions? Would you, would you be willing To be open, just to hear. What would God say to me through his word today? You see, unbelief is not an issue of the mind. Doubt is not unbelief, but unbelief is not an issue of your mind. 
It's an issue of your will. You can know about everything I've said to this point, and you can reject God and His Son, Jesus Christ. This, it's, it's about rejection. It's about your will. It's not your unbelief, your questions. All those things are not a matter of the mind. They're a matter of your will. Whatever questions, and maybe, maybe, maybe you're sitting, and I, maybe just for a point of clarification, you're saying, why does this seem so important? Do you know that we, there are really people, really people that reject this notion that God took on flesh? They reject the incarnation. They, they reject this, and it does change everything in Christian theology, and so they reject that notion. It's important because those people are our neighbors, our friends, our family members. They don't just live in another country. We interacted with them at Holly Jolly. Maybe you're sitting here. They, they come on Wednesday night because they, there's something for their children or for their students. And we provide a meal and they drop their kiddos off. They come because of We School. And they love Sharon as the director and they have great teachers and they drop them off. And they really do live and breathe among us. That's why it's important. But hear me today, whether you're listening to this recording or, or you're sitting here, whatever questions that you could possibly have, and I know that they are real questions, and I would never dismiss them. Whatever questions that you can have, there are answers. There are 2,000 years of Christian philosophy that have answers to your questions. So your issue with Jesus Christ is not about, it's not about here. It's about your will. There's a second type of rejection here. Notice what he says. He, he comes to his own. Jesus' own people of heritage, his Jewish people, there was a religious rejection. Worldly direct, uh, rejection is just outright dismissal. This is a myth. This is a fairy tale. Um, yeah, I know all those things, and I get it. I've watched the History Channel, and I, I really know that, that they experienced his crucifixion, and there were people that really experienced it, but I, the divine son of God really taking what I deserve, I don't even believe that I, I deserve God's wrath, so why do I need to believe in that? It's an outright rejection. But this second type of rejection is not just dismissal. It's, it's more subtle than that. It's religious rejection. It's conditional acceptance. So it's, it's what the people of Jesus' day did. This is the kind of Messiah that we want to receive. We want a king. We're tired of Rome. We need a new ruler. So you need to take the throne. So we'll accept you as king if that's really who you are. But they didn't accept him. Why? Because he didn't really take a physical seat on the physical throne for Rome. He is the king. 
He doesn't have to come back to be the king. He's already the king. But he, he didn't take the throne like the religious of the day assumed that he would. And so there's this, there's this subtleness to their rejection. But it's, a, it's called a conditional acceptance. And we do the same thing today. Not only in Christianity. We do this in Christianity. I'm willing if. I'm willing if. And maybe those words have never come out of your mouth. But they do. They exist right here in your head, don't they? They have in mine. I've heard people confess those things to me. They've shared those things with me. I, I know, I believe all that, but I, you know, like this is what he's asking of me. I've got to die to this. I've got to actually admit something about myself that I don't want anybody to know. It's called conditional acceptance. But it's not, it's not unique to, to Christianity, okay? The Muslims, they accept Jesus as a great prophet, but not the divine Son of God. They don't reject the idea that Jesus was real. They, they reject His divinity. If they accepted His divinity, everything would change. It's a conditional acceptance. It's a religious rejection. This is not a, a flagrant denial. This is a religious Rejection. The Mormons, they accept Christ as a created being who was born as a result of this union between God and a goddess. They accept Jesus, but it's conditional. He's not the divine Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, God of gods. He wasn't created out of some cosmic union between God and this woman. He's Born of a virgin. God entered the womb of Mary. He was born. Jehovah's Witness accept Jesus as the incarnation of Michael, the archangel. You've probably read about him in the scriptures. The real, real angel in the Bible. Those are real terms. But Michael never, he never rose bodily from the dead. He didn't. Christ, the divine Son of God, God incarnate, that we are celebrating, that we're acknowledging, that we're saying, listen, God took on flesh and He was born. I, I get it. He wasn't born December 25th. We don't, okay. I can get past all that. I really can. But He was born. God took on flesh and lived a perfect, sinless Life, tempted categorically in every way that you and I have ever and ever will be tempted. And on the cross, he takes the cup of God's wrath poured out on him that we deserve. So he substitutes himself in our place and he dies. They bury him and he raises from the dead. Michael never did that. Never. It's a religious acceptance. I will accept Jesus but on this condition. Now, listen, I, I don't want, this is, they would all say that they accept Jesus, but not Jesus as he has come. And if you are a Christian, you have to ask the question, 
have you, have you accepted him conditionally? Have you secretly, privately, religiously rejected Jesus Christ, the God of the Bible, the Christ that has come with all that that means? And maybe you don't know what all that means right now. But have you, in the, in the privacy of your own heart, said, I accept him if, if you've wagered with God? Maybe it's not big, right? Maybe it's not, maybe it's not flamboyant. And maybe you didn't know it until some time passed and some things didn't happen and some prayers weren't answered. And then you began in your heart to get mad and say, well, listen, listen, listen. If, if you're not the God that I thought you were, that's, that's conditional acceptance. I love you when. I accept you when or if. That's conditional acceptance acceptance. And here's here's the big challenge for us. The word here, when he says receive Christ, it's been contorted to something that he really didn't mean. Ask yourself this question. And I want everyone to do this. If you're old enough to think and understand what I'm saying, I want you to ask yourself this question. What need do I understand Jesus to meet? By receiving Him, what need do I understand Jesus to meet? What what we're getting at with this question is this. What is my reason for receiving Jesus? What problem does Jesus solve for you? Ask the question. If you're a Christian, right? why, why, why receive him? What problem does this solve for me? That, that will be the heart, will be the foundation of your Christianity. This God incarnate What need do I understand him to meet? You see, the gospel at its heart is a problem-solution message. And maybe you've never heard it said like that. It sounds kind of odd when it even comes out of my mouth. When I typed it in my computer, I, I erased it a couple times because I thought, someone is going to check me theologically there when I say that. What, what do I mean by that? Here's what what I mean by that. It's not ultimately about meaning and purpose and friendship and what you're lacking. It's not ultimately about those things. Does Jesus bring these things? So if you've got a book on your shelf about meaning and purpose and it involves Jesus, I'm not saying throw it away. Does Jesus bring these things? Yes. 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 But these needs are symptoms of a much greater problem. I'm I'm trying to be slow and articulate and methodical about this. So, yes, you're saying, 
when I was lost, I had no purpose, I had no meaning, I, I was floundering, I, was, I didn't know what I was supposed to do, I didn't know where I was supposed to go, what's going on, and then I became a Christian, I received Christ, and I had purpose and meaning. Yes, yes. Does Jesus Christ bring those things? Absolutely. But those needs, the, that lack of meaning, that, that need for acceptance, that need for friendship and purpose and what is my life about, all of those lackings in your life are symptoms of a much greater problem. The issue oftentimes is that we only see ourselves as decent people that need a little improvement. Not sinners, not beggars, not as one fallen short, Romans 3 says, of the glory of God. Think about it. I, I, I've thought about that in that way before. I was, I was pretty good. I really was a pretty good kid. <laughs> My parents listen to this. Hopefully they agree. I was a pretty good kid, and sometimes I can get trapped into this thought that I was a pretty decent person. I didn't murder anyone. I didn't seek to do heinous, evil crimes. I've never been in jail. I've never been wanted by organizations that are looking for criminals. And I, as I meet with people and as I talk with people and as I counsel and I think about and I know my own heart, I do believe that the issue more often than not is that we see ourselves as decent people. Maybe you need a little fine-tuning, right? Like I, it, it's, it goes like this. So yeah, I mean, we just, we've kind of sowed some wild oats. My wife and I, we have kids now and we need to settle down because we need this for our kids. And I hear you've got cross trainers, you know, you've got kids, whatever. You've got youth, whatever. You've got, you got, and I, we just need that as a family and you offer a meal, great, we'll come so we can get there. Because you know what, we, we could stand to use a little fine-tuning. And maybe you didn't come out like that at that point. All the other stuff is there. But maybe in your mind you're thinking, yeah, and you know, I don't, I don't have all this marriage thing figured out either. I don't have all this, you know, adulting thing figured out. So I just, I just, I need a little tune-up. But the issue is that we're sinners. We're needy. We're beggars. We're beggars. We need bread that only Jesus Christ can provide. We need living water. You're, you're thirsty, you're parched. You need living water. It's not that you need a tune-up. You're a beggar. You're a sinner. If you work backward, you, if you work backward to cause... And what he's saying here, you start with this lack of meaning. You start with this lack of purpose. You start with all the other lacks in your life. You say, I'm just left wanting. I just, whatever it is, it doesn't matter how much I earn, whatever I achieve, whatever I attain in my business, in my job, in my marriage, how many kids we have, how many degrees I have, whatever you do to pursue purpose and meaning, 
And all of those things are on the list, by the way. There's just some I haven't listed. Whatever it is that you do to pursue purpose and meaning, you start with that. And you, if, you, if you work backwards and you see that these things exist as a result of sin, you see that these things exist as a result of the fall in Genesis 3 and that, and that we have been alienated from our Creator. Everything was fractured. There's a great theologian that said every square inch of creation was broken. I love that. Every square inch was affected by the fall. And sin has fractured that. And we have inherited sin nature. And we have inherited the the results of the fall. And we contribute to those things. And and all all of that sin has alienated us from our Creator. And in receiving Jesus Christ... That's the answer to sin, the undoing of everything broken. It it doesn't just make our life more meaningful. Yes, that is true. It doesn't only give you purpose, and yes, that is true. But found broken, found wanting, found lacking, found as a beggar. And maybe that's in the... I'm not asking you, nor would we ever expect you to, to have some emotional breakdown but inside in your person where you're found broken you know you've had the conversation so many times when you're driving to work driving home from work driving to school alone fishing or hunting whatever it is and wherever it is you go you're thinking man is this really all there is to life really you're wanting and so if if we see that that wanting is a result of sin that's fractured everything, and in receiving Jesus Christ, that's the answer to sin, the undoing of this brokenness. Behold, right? Jeff quoted Revelation 21, 5 in a prayer or in something he was saying. Behold, I am making all things New. He's undoing what's been broken. And then, right then, in receiving Christ, now I have been, now I've been made new. Now I've been made whole, right? Now I'm holy and blameless. I'm a people for his own choosing. I'm a part of the royal priesthood. I'm a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Now I have meaning and purpose and lack nothing because I've been giving everything pertaining to life. And godliness in Jesus Christ. John says there are two kinds of rejection here. There's a worldly direct, uh, rejection. An outright dismissal. That is a myth. That is a fairy tale. I, there's no way that I'm going to believe that. Hooky kooky. And then there is a religious rejection. This, this subtle, conditional acceptance. And I would say, where are you today? Are you one of these? Not everyone in here is one of those, but are you one of these? Are you one of these? Now, in verse 12, look at what he says here. But to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not everyone rejected Christ. Not everyone rejects Christ. This is an incredible statement, isn't it? This is good news, isn't it? Because it, it can feel almost condemning, can it? Aren't you like, well, I, yeah, I've rejected him this way, and I, I used to be the guy that outright denied him, and now I'm, I'm just I'm, you know, conditionally accepting him. But he says here, this is good news. You can receive Jesus. And what does John mean for us to receive Jesus here? Receiving him and believing in his name are synonyms. They're, believing in his name, it modifies what it means to receive him. Leon Morris, he writes this about here. He says, the name meant much more to the people of antiquity than it does to us. To believe in the name of the word is to trust in the person of the word. It is belief in and on him. When we believe, we yield ourselves up. It's not just a, it's not a, an intellectual, because the world can know and reject. No, this is, he's, he's saying, it's a yielding of yourself here. I've entrusted myself to him. Maybe you've heard this word, surrender, okay? But it's a yielding it's a yielding, it's a giving way to, I'm entrusting my life upon this person of Jesus Christ. I am surrendering, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I've fallen short of God's glory. I don't need fine-tuning, I don't need tweaking, I don't just need to do better things or more things, and when I do those things, all will be well. No, I am a beggar, I am a sinner, I have been alienated from my creator and in Jesus Christ, he made a way for me to not just be tweaked, to not just be uh, a, a better, a more improved version, but rather to be born again, to be made brand new, be a new person, new, new creation, that my old person is not there anymore. I'm no longer who I once was. Now, isn't that good news? For those that are in Christ, it better be really good news. Amen? I am not who I once was. I'm a new creation. And to those, listen to what he says here, to those he gave the right to become children of God. It is almost incomprehensible to me that God, the creator of all things, there was nothing. You, you know this story, but this is the way I think about this. There was nothing. There was nothing. There was God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit existing perfectly without need. No need for you or I. In this dance, as C.S. Lewis calls it. This overflowing of love toward one another. He creates everything out of nothing. He holds everything, the scriptures say, by the power of his word. Your breath this morning is held by the power of his word. Your life is being sustained by the power of his word. The sun this morning is being held by the power of his word to prevent us from being annihilated by its heat. 
the fact that the sun rose this morning and that we have light and not darkness so that we don't freeze to death and life begin to die off is held by the power of His Word. That it's almost incomprehensible that this God would enable me, one who has rejected Him, become his child. There is no doubt that we need to marvel at the greatness, at the greatness of Christ, but also at the absurdity of his love. Isn't it? You don't love your enemy that way, nor do I. The absurdity of his love (laughs) that he would give the right to become children of God. Being God's children means that we call God Father. This was not possible before Jesus Christ, by the way. Being God's children means we call him Father. More specifically, we can address him as Paul writes as Abba Father or dearest Father. I don't want this to get used in a flippant kind of way, but you might say, Daddy. Be careful how you use that, please. But you know when you come home or you come to Christmas time with family there or you you have a small child, you come in the door, Dads, I hope you know this feeling. You come through the door and you hear, Daddy's home. It's, It's this It's that imagery. It's that picture here that as a child, you can say, Abba, Father, Daddy, dearest Father. You're declaring many things in that moment, but you're declaring, I'm your child. I'm yours. You made this possible. You have given me the right to become your child Arms open wide, right? Verse 13, he says, who were born, so these ones that he gives the right to become children of God, in verse 12, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There's a term here, theologically, it's called regeneration. If you want to write that down and do some study or Look at Wayne Grudem's words on Michael Horton's words on regeneration. He he says it this way. Follow his thought here in verse 13. Who were born not of blood, so it's not this, nor of the will of the flesh, it's not this, nor of the will of, of man, it's not that, it's this. but of God. Now here's the question, which comes first, our faith or our regeneration? Okay? That's got to be the question. Well, which comes first? I mean, I believe I'm born again, I'm regenerated. What's which comes first here? He gives us the answer in the text. I think very clearly. Who are born? They're born. Born again, regenerated, 
The old nature is gone. This is a new nature. Who are born. What does he say? What does John write here? Not of blood. They know that reality. Mamas have babies. It's messy. He knows that reality. Not, not in that way. Not, nor of the will of the flesh. Flesh is not the way Paul would talk about flesh later. He says, in your own strength. You didn't do this on your own strength, in your own might. You, you, didn't, you weren't able to do this. Nor of the will of man. Your, your best friend, your mom, your dad, your grandpa, your grandma, your whatever. They didn't do this for you. It wasn't their design and their purpose, but rather of God. So if you, this is the first domino. If you have faith, right? regeneration is this first domino, if you will, and it falls and everything else falls in line. This is a result, he says here in verse 13, of God's will. Regeneration is God's will and your faith follows. Now, this is really good news. It's really good news. See, if we only had two categories of those that receive and those that reject, think about this with me. If we had two categories of people, those that receive and those that reject, it's up to you. So here's the truth, and then you decide. If those are the only two categories that exist. What do you, what do you think the, the group that receives, how do you think they view the group that rejects? Maybe you're not as, uh, maybe you still don't have certain dark places in your heart that I do. But there's a temptation there. And it goes something like this. I think I'm a little better. Um, I was smart enough to make the right decision. So maybe I, I might even give praise to God for making me smart. Or maybe I'm more godly, right? Look what I did. I'm pretty godly. I mean, I chose living water, right? Something in me is better. There is a there is a temptation there to, to look at the other and say, listen, man, just choose. This is a better way. Come on, wise up, wake up. You know, let's go. You need to do this. This is good. It's good on a resume. Your wife has a baby. They bring you lots of food. You can show up Wednesday night and you can eat. If you don't have $2, you can eat for free. It's free babysitting, man. By the, you just drop your kids off and they just take care of your kids for you. Man, that guy, when's he going to wise up? Now, maybe you've never thought that, but there is a temptation there if those are the only two groups. But John is showing us that there is only one group. <laughs> There's only one group. those who reject Christ. 
that's where we start. Everyone has rejected Christ. Everyone. You do not know a person that has not rejected Christ. You're born dead in your sins and trespasses. An enemy of God. That doesn't mean that you kind of like him and you're smart enough to do better. That means you're his enemy. There's worldly rejection. And by the grace of God, he has regenerated you and he's opened your eyes and you have faith to believe. It's where we start. Galatians. Galatians 3, listen to this. Verse 22. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Everything, 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 according to verse 22 here in Galatians, the scripture has imprisoned everything under sin. There is nothing that has outreached sin. Everything is under condemnation. Everything will receive God's wrath. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Romans chapter 3. Verse 10 and 11, he's quoting the Old Testament here. None, Paul writes, as it is written. Let's back up to verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The good news of the gospel is that despite our rejection, we are not beyond the rescuing grace of God. So if you are in Christ this morning, you you were not beyond the rescuing grace of God. If you are not in Christ this morning, you need to hear, if you are saying, yeah, I have rejected him I have, I'm saying that you're, this is hooky. I'm rejecting the fact that the divine Son of God is who we're celebrating at Christmas. I'm here because my family wants to be here with all these pretty candles and stuff. I've rejected all that. Well, let me hear, let me, I want you to hear me say this morning that you are not beyond the rescuing grace of God. And I, like you, am in that group where I rejected Him. And by grace, I have been saved through faith, and it is not my works. Otherwise, I would boast about it and tell you that I did something great. The last part is my paraphrase of Paul's writing there. Despite our rejection, this is Advent. Despite our rejection, God has come in the flesh to save us, to adopt us, to call so that So that by the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because our true older brother took what we deserve, substituted himself in our place, that God could adopt us and call us his children. And that we could cry in our hearts, Abba, Father, Daddy, dearest Father, you are my Father. Despite your rejection, he came. Despite it, he came. And I do believe this morning, I do believe this, That God, by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the preaching of his word, that God is at work this morning. And God is doing something in you. 
I, I don't know if there's a person that has, that has outright rejected him. Maybe. Worldly rejection that, he, that John writes about here. But maybe. And I believe if that's the case, then your divine appointment was to hear God's word and to say, listen, you are now out of his reach. And we need to stop rejecting you hearing this message this morning is God's regeneration of you. Surrender. Find yourself as a beggar. I also believe, as I prepared and I thought about this conditional acceptance, I, I believe that one of us, some of us, are that person that we have said, I am a Christian and I have taken this, but it's been on my terms. You, listen, Josh, you want to talk about that stuff over there in my life? That's not fair game. And we're not going there. I've given my life to Jesus Christ, forgave me my sins. I was a hooligan then. I'm married. I've got kids. Life is great now. Okay? But you're not talking about this stuff over here that I'm enslaved to every day off limits that is called conditional acceptance and i believe that god would say to you this morning receive him receive him yield to him find yourself as a beggar not not in the simple tweakings of your life you didn't need jesus for that you need a self-help book you needed to know that you were dead in your sins and trespasses. And in that moment, whenever that was and whatever that looked like, get outside of your intellectual thinking for a moment. And, and what, So if you're not, do I need to be baptized again? I don't just stop for a minute thinking about like that, okay? That when you said, I have trusted in Christ, would you, would you know that you re in receiving him was you yielding, not just in the little tweakings, but in this, all this other stuff in your life, that's, that's hidden and that you've hidden and you've continued to hide because of what someone might think of you, which is in itself a sin. Just surrender. Just yield yourself. Yield yourself. Receive Him this morning. And to those in this room that have received Him, he reminds us in this passage, doesn't he? That it's not a result of you. It's not a result of you. So I would say worship, worship him this morning. In just a few moments, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And this is a receiving of the body that was broken, and the blood that was shed. And I would urge you this morning, if you have received Christ, if you, if you, have, you have surrendered your life, you've yielded to Him, that you have cause to worship and to celebrate, to remember the body that was broken in your place, then in just a few moments, when they distribute these elements, I'm going to encourage you to take the bread and take the juice. And then we will take those together as an act of 
unifying around this one person that came to rescue. And if you're if you're in a, if you're this morning and you're you're like, I have rejected him. I don't know him. I don't. I'm not ready to say that yet. But in the privacy of your own heart, you said, I've rejected him. I don't know him. Don't partake this morning. Because what are you celebrating? You've not accepted that that was on your behalf, in your place. So just wait. Anxiously wait till you can have that conversation with someone about, I think I need Jesus Christ. And then next month or next week or whenever we take the Lord's Supper again, you take it in an act of worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is powerful and it is effective. It divides the joint and the marrow. It's profitable. For doctrine and for teaching and for correcting and rebuking. For your namesake, that men and women of God, that the man of God might be rightly prepared for every good work. And I thank you that by the preaching of your word under the, by the power of your Holy Spirit that you are at work at Rocky Point Baptist Church this morning. May it be said of all in this room that we have received Christ. I pray this in Christ's name. Let's all stand together.